Daniel 7, 9 to 14. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing were white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed, given over to be burned with fire. And as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their eyes, their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. Please open with me in your Bibles to John chapter 13. And we're going to be picking up in the tale of John chapter 13, beginning in verse 31. You can find it on page 900 in your pew Bibles. Uh, in, our, in our text today, we're going to be encountering Jesus' instructions for a godly community. And hopefully you have already, um, your hearts have already been prepared to receive his instruction on godly community because it's been woven throughout the entire liturgy this morning. We've been uh, hearing about, singing about, confessing uh, the, the standards for God's will, uh, God's will for the church, his people. And this is such a relevant topic for us in our day and age because American society as we know it is in a crisis. But the crisis that I'm thinking about this morning is not one that you tend to hear the most trumpeted in the news or on the radio. The crisis I'm thinking about this morning is a crisis of connection. During uh, Dr. Vivek Murthy's first stint as the U.S. Surgeon General, he traveled the country inquiring into people's health, and the common thread that he found in all of his investigations was loneliness. Uh, out of all of our ailments and all of our uh, diseases and disorders, the biggest problem that he saw, the biggest health risk that he encountered as he went throughout our country was isolation. In 2017, he said that loneliness was the new American epidemic. And then came COVID. Uh, in a recent Gospel Coalition article, Jeremy Lineman observes that the cure for one pandemic only deepened the other one. As we practiced our social distancing protocols to limit the spread of COVID-19, we also contributed to the spread of loneliness. Lineman in this article estimates that the average American in 
2020 missed out on at least 300 hours of personal connection with friends. And 2021 was likely no different. And we can see the toll that that has taken on our society in that time. Americans have become more divided than before. If you look at the numbers, places of agreement and common ground between people of all sorts of persuasions, those areas of common ground have grown smaller. I know this is no shock to you all. Personal beliefs about the pandemic or about politics or about culture and the things that are happening around us, all those personal beliefs have driven a wedge between friends and family members, making the relational distance even worse. We are in a crisis of human connection. Unfortunately, lamentably, the church has not been immune to this crisis, has it? Uh, Christians have been just as vulnerable to isolation and just as guilty of fracturing and tribalization as anyone else. And as I have ministered here throughout the pandemic, I don't think that we have escaped this conundrum unscathed. Uh, We as a church community have tried to weather this uh, conflict well, all of the things around us. We've clung hard to our unity in the faith, but if we're honest, I think the stress of the conflict that we've just seen around us in our culture, it's taken a toll on our church community as well. And so how relevant is it then for us to encounter Jesus's call to love? In John chapter 13, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. John chapter 13 through 17 is his famous farewell address. And like any parent leaving kids alone by themselves for a little while, the first thing he does is tell them how to treat each other when he is gone. His message for the disciples begins with the command to love. And this is the answer to our crisis of connection. How are we as a church community going to rise from COVID, emerge from the pandemic stronger as a church? How can we heal wounds of division? How can we help in a deeply divided culture? Jesus gives us the answer today, love. Love is the answer that we're looking for. Godly, Christ-like love is Jesus' answer to a culture in need of connection. And so, brothers and sisters, please join me in God's holy word as we hear the command of Christ today. I'm, again, beginning in verse 31 of John chapter 13 and reading through the end of the chapter. Please hear with me God's holy word. When he, that is Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? 
Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that you enter into our human need, uh, our human need for connection and community, and we ask now that you would illumine your word through your spirit. Enable this time that we commune with you through your preached word. I pray that you would speak clearly to us. Enable us to hear your voice, to behold your will, and to delight in it through your spirit. So again, be with us during this time we pray. In the name of Christ, amen. As we explore this wonderful command to love each other as Christ has loved us, we're going to look at three things this morning. Number one, we're going to look at the standard of love. The standard of love. What is God's expectation for our Christian community? And then number two, we're going to look at the source of love. The source of love. How does God help us meet his expectation for us as Christians in community? And then number three, we're going to look at the struggle of love. The struggle of love. What is the main hindrance in our living out this call to love? So again, the standard of love, the source of love, and the struggle of love. And when we understand those three elements, then we can enter into this vocation of love with purpose and with hope. So the first thing we need to understand is the standard of love. Uh, The standard of love. Whenever you're trying to learn a new skill or a new trade, you need to know the standard that you're aiming for. Uh, The thing that you need to measure up to 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 indicate that you understand what's going on. When I worked at Starbucks and was in the the training to understand how to make all the variety of drinks, we had little cards that would show us pictures and give us tasting notes of a perfectly completed drink. And so you could tell if you had met the standard, if your drink that you had created looked right and it tasted right. It's important to know the standard. Now, remember the context of this particular passage. Jesus has drawn into private with his disciples. Uh, The crucifixion and the resurrection, it's just on the horizon. And so he's using this particular time, these few hours together before his trial and death to form them and give them the foundation for his new community in the church. And so they needed to know what Jesus had in mind for them when he was setting up this new community. They needed to know what it would look like. They needed to know the standard of love. And so what is God's standard of love? What is his expectation for us? Well, God's own self-giving love is the standard for our love. God's self-giving love is the standard, the measure, the model for our love. And so we should ask, what does God's love look like if we are supposed to emulate God's love in our community? What does God's love look like? Well, Jesus tells us. 
Jesus prefaces his new commandment with a a brief meditation or reflection on his upcoming death and resurrection. And significantly, it is all about God's glory. Verses 31 through 32 give us a snapshot into the communal life of the Trinity, and wonderfully, we discover that each member of the Trinity seeks to glorify the other members of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each existing in a holy community of love, where each seeks to glorify the other one. The Son is happy to glorify the Father. Verse 31. And 32, twice Jesus says that God is glorified in him, meaning that Jesus brings the Father glory when he goes about his saving work on the cross. Jesus happily glorifies the Father. But in turn, the Father happily glorifies his Son. In verse 31, again, we, we hear that now is the Son of Man glorified. And Bob has already read for us a passage about the Son of Man, the glorious Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7. And here, Jesus identifies himself with that Son of Man, the Son of Man appointed by God to have dominion and to rule for time and eternity, an unshakable, eternal kingdom. It is glorious. Jesus is that Son of Man, and he gets that title from God the Father, like we heard in Daniel 7. The Son of Man appears before the ancient of days and is declared to be the king. And so as Jesus goes to the cross, what we should have in our mind is that the father, every step along the way to his death, every minute that he was on the cross, the father was pouring out glory upon glory upon his son. In John's gospel, the cross is always about glory That's why it says that Jesus is lifted up on the cross. And that's why he can say in verse 32, if God is glorify him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. The father is pleased to glorify the son. The son is pleased to glorify the father. And then if we were to skip a couple chapters ahead, we would see that the Holy Spirit is in on this business of glorifying the others. John chapter 16, 14, Jesus says, he, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. And so this is what love looks like in the Trinity. No one is hogging the glory Everyone, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the Trinity is seeking to serve the other in love, seeking to glorify the others, happily spreading the glory. Godly love is self-giving. That is the standard of love. It is a self-giving love. And Jesus then reinforces that standard in in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. How does Jesus love us? Of course, he loves us by giving himself for us on the cross. That's what John chapter 13 is all about, the foot washing that points forward to the cross. Jesus is showing us what God's love looks like in practice. The cross is now the authoritative standard of love of our love for each other. And that's why Jesus calls this a new commandment. It's not new in the sense of content. 
right? The Old Testament saints were commanded to love God and love neighbor as ourselves. It is, is new in the sense of self-disclosure. We now see new depths to the wonders of God's self-giving love. We knew what God's love was like before, but now we can see it clearly. The cross is the clearest window that we have into God's self-giving love. He gives himself to bring others glory and life and blessing. God's love is the standard of love. It seeks the good of the other. It spends itself so that others can flourish. And if you need something to remember this by, if you need some image to think of when you're wondering what is the standard of love, just think about butter. Think about the butter that probably most of you have in the fridge. Uh, Robert Farrar Capon was a priest and a cook, and he loved to write theological meditations on, uh, on the, the glories of food. And here's what he says about butter. He says, butter glorifies almost everything it touches. Butter glorifies almost everything it touches. He, and he's absolutely right. And I think your, your chuckles bring out that you already know what I'm talking about. So just take a piece of dry bread and it is terrible. You don't want to eat that. But if you add some butter to it, well, now it's a snack. Or if you have some dry pasta or, or plain pasta and plain rice, it's, it's bland. But then you add a, a hunk of butter in that, and now it's a meal. Butter glorifies everything that it touches. It adds life and flavor and blessing. It makes things good, just like God's self-giving love. It glorifies everything it touches. That is the standard of love. Give yourself to the church the way that God in Christ has given himself for you so that others could flourish. Spend yourself so that the rest of the community can grow. Be like butter. Glorify everything that you touch. Seek to contribute glory to the others in your life. And a quick look at our society shows us that this is the opposite of how we normally act. We talk about love in our society a lot, but as soon as you dig just a little bit deeper under the surface, the love that we see in our society or the, the, the conversations about love that we tend to have, they're usually all about self-focused love. And even when we enter into the church world, often we are consumed with a self-focused love. Even when we think about church membership, we usually judge a church based on what I can get out of it, not how can I serve in this place. And so if the standard of love is so countercultural to our entire human experience, we might actually wonder, what's the point? Why did God set the standard so high? Why is this so important? And I think it's because God loves us so much that he sets a high standard for our love for each other. It is out of love that God commands us to love the way he loves us. Godly, self-giving love is profoundly comforting. It's a true blessing to experience godly, self-giving love. Again, Jesus is leaving He's on his way to the cross. And then after that, he's on his way back to the Father. The disciples will need love. And so he gives them to each other. 
And he says, love each other the way that I love you. He wants you each to experience the gift of self-giving love. Also, godly, self-giving love is attractive. We're drawn to examples and experiences of self-giving love. And God loves the world. He wants the world to be brought to Christ. And as verse 35 shows us, Jesus wants our love for each other to be a magnet for the watching world, for people who are hungry for a genuine experience with self-giving love. He wants the church to draw people to Christ and our self-giving love in community can do that. And so, yes, this is a high standard, but it's because God loves us. He only wants us to have the best. And now that might sound both lovely and also intimidating. It's lovely because it promises this community of believers who genuinely can tell each other, I'm more committed to your flourishing than my flourishing. I'm willing to sacrifice my comfort for your comfort. I want to give myself up for you. That's amazing. And I think every single one of us would like to belong to a community like that, wouldn't we? But it's also intimidating. Here's why it's intimidating. It's intimidating because in order for this to really work, it's not just that everyone else here is giving themselves up for me. I personally must give myself away as well. And so it's, it's like that old, thanks, that old joke about Thanksgiving dinner, that everyone in the barnyard is happy to contribute to Thanksgiving dinner except the turkey, Because the the call to love like Christ is a call to take up a cross, which is an instrument of death. And so for us to meet the standard of love, we have to ourselves die. And so we, we need to ask, how could I possibly do that? How can I give myself up for the sake of all the people here and for the sake of the people in my church community? Thankfully, God doesn't just give us the standard of love. He doesn't just tell us the bar that we're supposed to reach for. He gives us the source of love. And it's the very same thing. The source of love is God's self-giving love. The source of love is God's self-giving love. Here, verse 34 again. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. That's, again, the, the standard. Just as I have loved you. So you are to love one another. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his sacrificial love is not simply the bar that we should match. It's the power that hoists us over the bar and enables us to accomplish the thing that he calls us to. Jesus has already died for you. He's already sacrificially given himself for you so that you can be transformed, so that you would be cleansed and changed. Whenever you become a Christian, Jesus gives you new eyes, a new heart, and new convictions about the family. If you are a Christian, you can testify to this. It just happens organically. As you grow through the faith, you start to see your fellow church members actually, really, as members of the body of Christ, your body, your 
family, you actually begin to long in your heart for the flourishing of other people. You are driven by new convictions within your soul to seek the good of the others in your church. So I I have spent years of my life in the church, and I can testify to this. Christian love, Christian community is a complete miracle. It's an act of God in our midst, and we should celebrate that. I have seen Christians, I have seen you do amazing things for one another, and not because you got guilted into it from the pulpit or anything like that, or the the pastor twisted your arm. No, I have seen you do amazing things for each other because you genuinely wanted to. Because you genuinely, out of your soul, gave birth to this conviction that you must spend yourself in this practice of self-giving love. And so we should celebrate uh, the source of love being in our midst. Now, of course, it's not always easy. Uh, Christians are, are sometimes quite hard people to love. I know that I am a difficult person to love. And so, again, we might come back in despair a little bit, and we say, Lord, I don't know that I can love this person or that person. But Jesus' love is the source of love. Always go back to not just the standard of love, but the source of love. God is the one giving you the capacity to love. And so if there's another Christian in your life that really bothers you, here's my challenge and encouragement to you today. Pray about it. Actually spend a little bit of time asking God to give you love for that person, and he will do it. I know he will. I've had this happen so many times in my own life. There's a difficult person that I'm attempting to love, and every single time I take even just a few moments to ask God for help, he gives it. He is the source of love. He is very happy to unite us together in love. So just take a moment to pray for the person in your life that you're struggling to love. You don't have to conjure love up within your heart. You can't do that. All you need to do is just ask God for it, to ask for the strength to love someone sacrificially the way that Jesus has loved you. And so the standard of love is God's self-giving love. And now we see that the source of love is also God's self-giving love in Christ. And that brings us to the struggle of love. It's one thing for us to know in our minds God's love, but it's another thing entirely for us to put it into practice. Because you and I both struggle with the very same thing. We know that we're called to love other Christians sacrificially. We know what God is calling us to, but we still have this deep internal attachment to ourselves. The struggle of love is our self-love. John Calvin says that self-love and self-gift are like fire and water. They, They don't go together. In order for us to follow God's call, Christ's call to love one another, then we need to dig deeply into our own sinful attachment to our own good and our flourishing. We need to examine our self-love. 
In verses 36 through 38, Peter shows us what happens when we indulge our self-love. The first thing that happens is that we ignore God's commands. When we indulge our self-love, we ignore God's commands. Jesus, just remember the passage. Jesus says, where I am going, you cannot come. And then immediately, three times, he says, therefore, love one another, love one another, have love for one another. And Peter completely overlooks those three commands. He just goes back to the first statement. The first words out of his mouth are, Lord, why can't I follow you? Where are you going? It's like he stopped listening. As soon as Jesus started talking about love, he was so concerned about his desires that he ignores Jesus's command. Our self-love causes us to do the same thing. We hear Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. We hear that. And then we immediately try to rationalize it. Surely he doesn't actually mean that we should think more highly of others than ourselves. There's got to be some exception, right? Or we'll hear Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We immediately start asking all sorts of qualifying questions. Well, what if I'm tired? What if I'm busy? I don't have time for all of this. We immediately look for a loophole in that instruction to try and diminish the command. Or we'll hear Ephesians 4.15. Speak the truth in love. And what we'll do is we'll combine those two things, truth and love. We, we mash them together and start to say, speaking the truth is the loving thing. And so it doesn't matter how I say it. And then all the people who are calling for charity and speech are just going soft on the truth. So, of course, we need wisdom. Of course, self-care is important. And, of course, truth matters. But let's be honest with ourselves. We, we often sound noble when we say stuff like that, but the truth is not good. Our self-love drives us. It enables us to overlook explain away, and ignore God's word. Second, when we operate out of self-love, we overestimate our faithfulness. When we operate out of self-love, we overestimate our faithfulness. Verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Peter, in his self-love, had this puffed up sense of pride. He actually thought he could stand under temptation and scrutiny. He actually thought he could be faithful when everything got really tough. His self-love caused him to overestimate his faithfulness. Friends, our self-love causes us to do the same. We hear Jesus say, love the body the way that he has loved the body. And we say, okay. I can do that. I'm nice. I'm generous. I'm actually not too bad at these things. And we give ourselves far too much credit. Our self-love blinds us to the selfishness that haunts so many of our decisions or the harshness 
that we rationalize as effective leadership or discipline or communication or the fear that holds us back from service. We always need to keep watch on our souls because when we give into self-love, we overestimate our faithfulness to Jesus's new command. And the end result is always the same. Our self-love causes us to sin against Christ. Our self-love causes us to sin against Christ. Verse 38, Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Ouch. That would hurt to hear in the company of all of the rest of the disciples. In the end, Peter's self-love caused him to deny Jesus and turn away. And our self-love tempts us to do exactly the same thing. We come up against God's call to give ourselves away. And then we run in fear and we hide in shame. That is the struggle of love. It is a hard rebuke. It hurts to hear, but we need to hear it so that we can repent And so that we can be transformed. In the end, self-love does not have the victory. There is a transforming grace that is present in this passage. Verse 33, Jesus calls them little children. And that does not mean a demeaning thing. It might sound demeaning for one adult man to call a bunch of other adult men little children, but in that context, it's a term of love and tenderness. He cares for his disciples. He knows the darkness that's facing them, and he still loves them deeply. Verse 38, will you lay down your life for me? We know the answer to that. No, No, you will not lay down your life for me. I will lay down my life for you. All of us fail to meet the standard of love. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to die for us and to forgive us and to cleanse us from our sins. He forgives us when we fail And then he equips us to follow him in loving faithfulness. Verse 36, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. That's a profoundly hopeful sentiment that Jesus gives to this longing and and misunderstanding Peter. Jesus will transform Peter Jesus overcomes Peter's self-love. Peter would eventually go on to follow Jesus on the way of the cross. He will die for Christ and follow Jesus into glory. And so, listen, the struggle is real. Our self-love is real. Hear that rebuke, but don't give up hope. Jesus is at work in you. He is restraining your weak self-love and guilty pride. And he is enabling you to overcome that struggle so that you could sacrificially love one another. And so how can we do that this week? How can we live out this call to love this week? Well, I think there's an easy application and 
a harder application. Here's the easy application, the thing that just kind of comes quickly to mind. Love other Christians well in public. Love other Christians well in public. Christians regularly harm the reputation of the church by our public actions. And Jesus does not want that. Again, our love for each other is one of our witnesses to the watching world. And so the question, do you have a reputation for being kind to Christians in public? Whether you're at at work or at school or if you're on social media, do you talk about other Christians in such a way that the watching world can see Jesus? It's a really important question. How do you treat each other in public? But there's a harder question that we need to ask this morning. And I want want to go into that a little bit deeper. Not just how do you treat each other in public, but how do you treat each other in private? How do you treat each other in your personal, private lives? Are you CCA people in your personal, private lives seeking to honor and sacrificially love the other brothers and sisters in this church. Take some time today to really think about that question. Answer this question yourself. Who am I serving? And who can I serve this week? Who can I serve this week? If you're a note taker, that's the question to write down. Who can I serve this week? And like last week, give yourself space for God to bring someone to mind through the Holy Spirit. Who can I serve this week? There are real and pressing needs in this community. This small church has real needs. Every single one of us here needs love. Every one of us here needs friendship and community. And so pursue each other this week in sacrificial love. And I think especially pursue people that you might be estranged from. If there's someone that you have struggled with in this church, maybe let the Lord bring that person to mind and ask if there is a way that you might be able to serve that person in sacrificial love this week. Call this person. Uh, Maybe you can invite this person to a meal or to coffee. You can write them a letter. You can send them a gift. You can simply ask, how can I help you? Is there any way that I could serve you this week? You have the directory. And if you need the directory, we can give you the directory. You have the prayer email every Wednesday. Look that up. Put those tools and resources to work and don't wait for someone else to serve you before you start serving others. Don't be like Charlie Brown, who is always checking your mailbox for a Christmas card, but you never send one out yourself. If you are walking through the doors of this church every week asking, who does God want me to serve? And then if you are sacrificially using your gifts and graces, like we confess in the confession of faith, if you sacrificially use your gifts and graces to build each other up between our Sundays, then our church will transcend this national crisis of connection. Instead of there being division and isolation, our church community will radiate the love of the Trinity 
the self-giving love that God has for himself and for us. We will emerge from COVID stronger. We will shine the light of Christ into a deeply fractured world, and we will personally experience the blessing of God. Because when you are governed by self-love, you bear a terrible burden. Self-love cannot unite people. Self-love cannot satisfy you. Self-love is a curse. And so leave it behind this week. Die to your own self-love and let Christ's love bring you new life. His love is the standard. His love is the source and it will not let you down. Jesus shows us clearly in our text the path of self-giving love is the path of the cross. But the path of the cross always leads to glory and it always leads to new life. And so love each other well this week and experience the glory of God dwelling in your midst. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word that first of all causes us to focus on Christ's immense love for us. What a gift Jesus, that you gave yourself for us when we did not deserve it, when we were dead in our sins. What love you have showered upon us. What wondrous love is this? And we're made grateful and we're humbled in it. And now we ask, O Father, that you would pour yourself giving love into our hearts so that we could love each other in a self-giving way. Help us to give ourselves away to each other so that we would all be built up in Christ and so that we would show your love to a watching world and so that we would taste a little bit of heaven on earth in our community. We pray that you would do all of this in the name of Christ. We say this together as God's people. Amen.